Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle within us the fire of your love, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite writers is Anne Lamott. She's written some wonderful uh, books that are generally stories reflecting her life. In her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, the three essential prayers, she writes, Here are the two best prayers I know. Help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. You know this, don't you? Help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's talk about today's reading and what is happening in the story. You'll remember that Jesus is on the last leg of his final journey to Jerusalem. And that you'll also remember earlier in the year, at the very outset of the start of this journey, that we heard from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus and his followers were refused hospitality in a Samaritan village. And this makes his disciples mad as hornets. And they say, should we call down fire on this Samaritan village? And Jesus rebukes them and turns around and within a few steps of this, casts a Samaritan in the role of a hero in the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So don't you wonder about why there's all this tension with the Samaritans? Samaritans were the descendants of generations of intermarriage between Jews left behind during the Babylonian exile and Gentiles who settled in in Israel. So Samaritans share a common heritage with the Jews, but they were also quite different. They worshipped at a different temple, had different but overlapping scriptures. Think Roman Catholics and Protestants in Europe and in the United States. You know, for a long time, we, we had all these similar beliefs and thoughts, and yet, you know, we didn't much like each other. I, I remember that from my family. And, and so, you know, it's been in recent years that we've actually uh, seen popes uh, and Protestants meet together, and it's been so heartening, you know. Well, Jews and Samaritans were religious en- enemies, all the more because they shared the same ideas, you know, but they just didn't like the little tweaks, right? Remember, too, a common example for a faithful life that we hear in Scripture is returning and praising God. There's all kind of scriptures, most notably the parable of the prodigal, right? The setting of our reading today is very telling for us. Jesus is traveling to a borderland, an area that is neither inside or outside Jewish or Samaritan territory. Think the demilitarized zone between North Korea and South Korea. The same people, but divided by thoughts and ideas about what government should be. And in between them is this zone. It's not really South Korea. It's not really North Korea. And in fact, these kinds of places, these kinds of places of margin often are places of uncertainty and therefore of great danger, right? 
but they can also be places of possibility. And in our reading today, we learn about the possibilities. The story tells us that a group of 10 people, actually in, in our translation it says men, which were more likely because probably the men gathered together in these communities, and that they, um, they had skin diseases, which is what leprosy is. I don't know why the translation has changed it to skin diseases because leprosy has a little bit more powerful impact to me. And they are carefully keeping their distance according to the religious laws. If they got close to people who were considered clean, if they touched them, if they got close to them, then that person was automatically considered unclean. So they were keeping their distance, uh, which was according to their religious practice. So they cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priest, and they find themselves healed along the way, miraculously healed along the way. Only one, a Samaritan, returns and gives glory to God. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus commends him, highlights that he is a Samaritan, and then commends his devotion. Your faith has made you well. But what is it precisely that Jesus commends here? Don't you wonder about that? I mean, it's not for revering Jesus, because all ten of them called him teacher. It's not for obeying his instruction, for all ten leave to go show themselves to the priests, setting out to become re reconciled with their community. Know that the Samaritan uniquely disobeys Jesus' instruction because instead of going to see the priests, he returns. Before he even gets there, he returns to Jesus, praising God and thanking Jesus for being made clean. Now, despite his years of being marginalized and keeping his distance from others, he has the audacity to approach Jesus and throw himself at Jesus' feet in thanksgiving. And Jesus commends him and shows us all what it looks like to follow the second part of the greatest commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? So why is thanksgiving so central to the life of our faith? It's told in this story, all ten in the group believe in Jesus and have asked for mercy. All ten obey his command, and all ten are healed. It is the act of thanksgiving, however, that deepens and completes the act of receiving this gift from Jesus, this healing, this cleansing. But I want you to remember that the story begins with a plea for mercy. It begins with a plea for mercy and ends in thanksgiving. There's challenges for us in this story today, two most notable that I, I can see. The first is we're busy people. We're also raised in a culture that says we can take care of ourselves. We're highly independent. 
We're strong, we're capable, we measure our success by how we take care of ourselves and those we love. So, in the midst of all of that, we sometimes find it hard to ask for mercy, to ask God for help. But, but think of what might happen if we ask God for mercy for our cur current political climate and the upcoming election. What if when you heard a, a report on that, you, you said, oh God, have mercy on us. Turn your face to us, please. Heal us. What if for the war in Ukraine, we said, oh God, have mercy. Have mercy on, the, on Ukraine, but also have mercy on Russia and all surrounding countries. What if we said, God, have mercy. We are destroying this island earth. Have mercy on us. Or we said, oh God, as I did just recently, surely not, God. Have mercy. We will not survive a nuclear war. Have mercy. We also often forget to say thank you, don't you? <laughs> so um, a man by the name of Martin Bell wrote a great little book called The Way of the Wolf. And in that, he talks about this story of the ten lepers. And the title of his chapter is Where Are the Nine? Which is where, what Jesus asked. Where, where are the others? Didn't we heal ten people? So he says, well, one of them was frightened. Scared him to death, but he was suddenly healed. Uh, have you ever been there? Just, just see where you fit here. <laughs> the second was so offended because he wasn't asked to do something difficult. He said the third realized too late that he didn't actually really want to be cleansed. He understood himself. And to think that he might be made new, he wouldn't know how to act in the world. The fourth did not want to return. He was so happy he forgot. The fifth was unable to say thank you because he still carried the weight of all the pain of all those years of being marginalized. The sixth, that, that Bell calls a woman, believed that Jesus had, that, that she had been separated for so long from her children and her family that she ran to them without thinking to say thank you. The seventh didn't believe that Jesus had anything to do with this. Year. Doesn't make sense doesn't make any sense at all. Intellectually, I can't grasp it. The eighth didn't return because he didn't want, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He needed to be the Messiah. If this was real, he had to be the Messiah. The king, kingdom hasn't come that close. The ninth, well, what was his experience? Why didn't he return? Once cleansed, he smiled, and without another word, walked away. Perhaps we're most like that ninth one, you know. God showers us with blessings, even in the midst of our struggles, and we smile and walk away. So let's talk for a minute about grace and mercy. The general understanding of grace is that it is getting what you could never deserve. And mercy is not getting what you actually deserve. So it is 
So it is when we come to God, we often can come with a prayer for mercy. God have mercy. Christ have mercy. Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison. In the New Testament, Kyrie is a title given to Christ. As part of the Greek formula, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, are the words used as a preliminary petition to God before formal prayers are given. And this, this all came about through the study and reading of the scriptures, the New Testament in Philippians 2, 11, in the great Christological hymn, says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But don't limit your understanding just to the New Testament. The Hebrew scriptures have long talked about the, the, the understanding of, of God. In, in, in Psalm uh, 6, verse 4, it says, Turn, O Lord, save my life. Deliver me for the sake of your steadfast love. Isn't that powerful? The first, the first certain example of the use of this Kyrie eleison prayer is in the eighth book of the Apostolic Constitutions. It was a collection of writings about Christian discipline and doctrine and a manual for guidance for clergy, because you know they need it. <laughs> so when we pray, God have mercy, we join a historic line of people who have gone before us, who are the saints of God who now surround us. We are part of the whole faith. And the grace for us today is that it is God's desire to grant us grace even when we could never deserve it. And it is God's practice to grant us mercy, um, not giving us what we actually deserve. This is God's grace. This is God's mercy. We're not so good at it when we're given, handing out grace and mercy to others, but God is. God is good at it. And the good news is that God's nature cannot help but love us any more or love us any less than God already does. And remember that Jesus still loved the other nine, the other nine lepers. He healed them. But they didn't get the chance to receive his benediction, his blessing that said, your faith has made you well. Get up and go. So they also missed the opportunity for this connection with Jesus, this deeper connection with Jesus that the Samaritan leper received. This deepening relationship with God. Well, y'all know that we call my dad Papa Hut. May his memory be a blessing. He played football in high school, and the years of combat in World War II, walking everywhere, made for bad knees. Over the course of his 94 years, he had four, count them, four knee replacements, two on each side. Maybe five, I can't remember. I couldn't keep track of it. One night later in his life, but before he lost his ability to walk independently, and before my mom developed uh, dementia, Mama Jo told me an interesting story about him. Turns out that my mom had always been the night owl, staying up late to watch TV or play solitaire on the computer. By contrast, my dad was an early bird, 
arising early in the morning, banging around in the kitchen, going outside and singing at the top of his lungs. At 6 o'clock in the morning, my mother would run out there and say, Lewis, you need to be quiet. Don't wake the neighbors. <laughs> One evening while my mom was up, she heard a noise, a sort of groaning coming from the back of the house. Worried about Papa Hutt, she got up and went to his bedroom and discovered that Papa was on his knees beside the bed in prayer. She didn't know what he was praying about, but she later told me, can you imagine that old man with his bad knees, on his knees, praying? He must be crazy. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if he's crazy or not, but, and I don't know that he did it often or that he ever did it again because I'm pretty sure my Mama Joe crawled him about it. what I am sure of is that he didn't do it out of obligation but out of his praise of God, his thanksgiving to God, his deep love of God and a desire to honor God and that's what happened when we kneel kneeling has long been uh, a practice in the church not for us Protestants, we don't have those kneeler things but uh, the Catholics and the Episcopalians and all the Orthodox churches do but you don't have to kneel physically, it is also about an attitude of prayer. So if you can't kneel, or if it's, you're not comfortable doing that, or it's odd to you, it's long been a practice in the church, but in fact, Benedict, the sixth, Pope Benedict XVI wrote all about it. But to be in an attitude of coming before God, it, honoring God, uh, it can be your body position. It can be your heart, your attitude, your intention. Um, it is uh, how we intend to come before God. If God have mercy is our first prayer, and God gives us mercy and grace, then thanksgiving is our last prayer. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Whatever posture we take, may our prayers of mercy and thanks be like that Samaritan who returned to God. Because we're all on that journey of returning to God. So if you feel comfortable, enter a posture of atti or attitude of prayer and I will say a word and you repeat after me. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison. 